welcome. Good afternoon, wherever you are. Um, although I guess we call it early evening here on the East Coast. Uh, my name is Justin Charles. I use he, him pronouns. I am from New York City, DSA. I'm a member of the National Political Committee uh, and a member of Communist Caucus. Uh, I am here today as your neutral moderator for uh, this panel of all of our, uh, our most of uh, candidates representing most of the tendencies uh, engaged in the national organization. Um, to talk about their candidacy, why they're running for MPC, uh, and also to talk about what they see um, in the future for uh, DSA. Um, so to contextualize a little bit, um, we have these conventions every two years. Um, they're, they're, they're a big deal. This is the only time we all get to get, get together uh, and talk about what do we as an organization think is important uh, given the political moment, what do we want to work on for the next two years? How are we going to do that? Um, some of the questions um, facing us right now, how do we relate to the Democratic Party? What's our relationship to the uh, electeds that we endorse uh, and work with? Um, how do we continue to build DSA um, in the face of, you know, declining, slowing membership growth? Um, how do we fight against a resurgent right? Uh, far right? Uh, how do we build a democratic organization? Um, what does it look like to be uh, an, an anti-imperialist? Um, and what role does the NPC play uh, in, 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 in all of this? Um, I'm going to offer our uh, candidates um, a chance to introduce themselves. Um, so candidates, Tell us your name, your pronouns, whatever slate you're a part of, whatever caucus you might be a part of, uh, why delegates ought to vote for you um, or candidates from your slate or caucus. Um, and what is your assessment of DSA strategy? Uh, does it need to change, et cetera? Uh, let's start uh, with Alex Pilateri. Hey, comrades. Uh, so first, I just want to say a big thank you to Mug for hosting this panel. I think it's a really crucial part of our internal democracy, and I'm very excited to be here. But my name is Alex Pelletieri. I'm part of uh, New York City DSA, and I am running on the Bread and Roses slate. So I absolutely think that there has to be a, a very big change in DSA's electoral, electoral strategy. And I think that the Bread and Roses candidates are the ones who are going to be able to move DSA in a direction of political independence uh, and class struggle. So our long-term goal and like how the work that we're currently doing helps us ultimately build socialism is not very clear. And when it comes to things like electoral, electoral politics, it seems like that we move from one campaign to another campaign, but there's not one unifying democratic socialist uh, vision. So Bread and Roses believes that the goal of our electoral work should be to break from the Democrats and form a workers' party. And it will be many years before this is possible, but we are in a position right now to be taking concrete steps to make that happen. So I think all of our candidates should be distinguishing themselves from the Democratic Party um, and create an independent socialist identity that is separate from like the progressive uh, or left wing of the Democrats. And after election day, DSA should continue to have a relationship with our elected officials, and we should be the ones who help set their political direction. And most importantly, I think it is DSA members should set the priority for our socialists in office, not the other way around. 
Uh, and the Brennan Rose of Slate has already practiced many of these principles in our own chapters, and we are prepared to continue to do so on the MPC. Uh, so personally, I've served as a campaign manager for New York City DSA endorsed assembly member Marcella Matanias. I also served uh, on my chapter's socialist in office committee, which is the coordinating body between DSA and our and our elected officials. And on that committee, I helped push for a more militant and transparent approach uh, to our legislative strategy. Um, and with the 2024 election on the horizon, people will be very polarized over the next two years. And I think that it is absolutely crucial that we can meet the moment and offer an alternative to the far-right Republicans um, and milquetoast Democrats and offer people um, a future that includes a, a militant um, and democratic socialist organization. All right, thanks, Alex. And I forgot to say that there's a three-minute limit um, for 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 each of these statements. I'm going to be annoying and cut you off if you go over three minutes. I'm sorry. Um, next, we have Amy Wilhelm. Hi. Uh, yeah, my name's Amy Wilhelm. I use they or she pronouns. I'm running with Marxist Unity Group on uh, with our caucus and our you know, small slate. Um, so I'm running together with uh, Comrade Rashad X to put politics in command. Uh, that means that we want to subordinate our work to our strategic goals. Uh, one of the big things is we want to reaffirm our strategic orientation towards winning the battle for democracy, not just preserving, you know, what shreds we have um, in the sham of American democracy, but really winning a uh, true democratic society. Now, another important thing that we have is our commitment to anti-imperialist struggle. We want to have not just a struggle against our own state and its imperial uh, efforts, but uh, we think that's important to maintain an exchange of ideas and really cross-border unity with uh, peers around the world. Our current strategy of DSA is really focused towards winning state power as captured through elections, um, despite the fact that we're in such an anti-democratic system. Uh, we have to realize the limitations of that as a strategy and shift towards one that develops the masses as protagonists, both internal and external, both our members and really the masses at large, workers at large. The and Our elections should, ser should serve that goal. We have to develop power outside the state as well as within its structures, and we have to openly understand that that power will be in some regards against the state and it's only through fighting directly for that fighting directly for our needs that we can make and keep wins without making compromises and without them being chipped away over years ultimately when we talk about putting politics in command all of our strategies our electoral strategy our labor strategy tenant strategies our uh, anti-imperial strategy all of that is put towards building a truly democratic society. All of our tactics should be put towards our guiding principles, and we should evaluate all of them under that. Uh, we should evaluate all of them by that sort of yardstick. Under time, I love it. All right, uh, love it when y'all do that. Um, next up is C.S. Jackson. Hi, everyone. I'm C.S. Jackson, and I am representing the LSC slate, um, and I'm from San Diego. And 
delegates should vote for my slate because we are committed to upholding anti-imperialist principles, operating in a transparent manner, and ending the NPC culture of treating information as a commodity. There definitely needs to be a change in DSA strategy. There's been an overinvestment in long shot electoral and legislative initiatives that have failed, causing members to become disengaged and a leadership that's in denial about that. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about the Green New Deal and the PRO Act. There have been no after action reports, uh, nothing to learn from that we can look at. Um, things like that. I believe that we need to invest more in developing and educating our members while empowering them to find new causes and campaigns and methods to develop power in DSA and uh, the democratic uh, United States as a whole. And we also want to build a culture of trust in DSA. We want members to trust the NPC and staff to trust the NPC and vice versa. Thank you, CS. Um, next up is Francis Gill. And before you go, Francis, let me just interject. Please don't get on your soapbox in the chat. We have panelists that are going to be talking about all the stuff. We got questions for the panelists to, to, to bring out all the stuff. Please don't have your own panel in the chat. Nobody wants to see that. Thank you. Go ahead, Francis. Yeah. Um... Thank you to Mug for hosting this and thank you um, to Justin for moderating um, and thank you to my fellow panelists for participating in this discussion. Um, yeah, I'm so my name is Francis and um, I'm she her pronouns and I'm a member of Los Angeles DSA. Um, I've been in LA for two years and before that I lived in New Orleans. Um, so hey John. Um, and I was uh, a founding member of New Orleans DSA um, and was uh, co-chair of the chapter for the year before I moved to LA. Um, I'm running on the ground. Yeah, hey Jack, let's go New Orleans. Um, I'm running on the groundwork slate uh, with five other comrades. I'll put the website in the chat for folks reference. Um, but yeah, I'm running on the groundwork slate with five other comrades. And um, I think the thing that really brought us all together, honestly, is that, um, we do believe in DSA's potential to be a liberatory vehicle for the working class. That it is like the political tool that we can use to liberate our class. Um, and so I think, you know, we come from very different like organizing backgrounds and different chapters. Um, there's one other LA comrade, Mark. So there's um, two LA folks, but other than that, like we come from all different chapters and have worked on different projects. And um, I think, you know, we've, We've all learned different lessons, but along the way, we've seen a lot of incredible potential in our socialist organization. And um, I think that's what ultimately like brought us together as to run on the same slate. And we picked the name Groundwork because we feel collectively that kind of the work that we're doing now is laying the foundation for the socialist, the party building process of working toward the um, a socialist, a workers party in our in our lifetime. Um, and, you know, I think we can do that, but we have to make very intentional and conscientious decisions about how we spend our time right now and over the next couple of years. Um, and it's a really critical time for our organization. Um, and yeah, on the question of whether DSA strategy needs to change, I think it's an incredibly difficult one to answer because like, 
you know, what, what strategy? Um, we do all kinds of things all over the place and some of them work and some of them don't. And I think um, I, it was, uh, yeah, comrade C.S. Jackson who pointed out that we um, don't do as good a job as we could of learning from the things that don't work and learning from the things that do. Um, and I think that's something incredibly important um, that we have this, not just like at the local level, but at the national level, a process of real debrief and lessons learned and how do we move forward together um, and stronger? And um, yeah, so I think, you know, we try, we're, it's kind of, DSA is pretty interesting because we have almost 200 chapters and that's like 200 little socialist experiments to see what works and what doesn't. And we can um, learn from one another and we can learn from um, the different, different work happening at different chapters, but um, we have to do it in a structured way. Um, so yeah, sometimes DSA strategy needs to change and sometimes things are working good. Um, and we should collectively kind of know what those things are. Um, and yeah, thank you everybody for having me on the panel. Thank you, Francis. Uh, up next is John. All right, what up y'all? My name is John Lewis. My pronouns are he, him, is. I'm a member of the Red Star Caucus and repping our NPC slate today with my comrades Megan and Sam. I'm coming at y'all from the boot. As a former co-chair of Baton Rouge DSA and a current member of New Orleans DSA, shout out to Francis too, you know. I also serve as a steering committee member for our National Abolition Working Group and I serve for a couple other national bodies. Last summer, I was an independent or uncaucus candidate for the NPC replacements and was on the first slate to be voted on. It was decided that I would not get to serve our members in that capacity, but it's cool because if you're going to organize, if you're going to work with your people, you're going to do it wherever you're at, however you can with whatever tools you have at your disposal, right? So, and I kind of saw a common spirit within Red Star, and that was part of what led me to join. And we had similar ideas on developing members both as socialists and as organizers, right? That lean very heavily into explicitly democratic and socialist cultures, right? So, we are revolutionary socialists who believe in the working class and believe that is in desperate need of a revolution and thus needs a workers party with an internationalist and anti-imperialist purview. And we believe that DSA is the best method to achieve this. A model of this is in our slate's leadership pledge and some of these key tasks we see as necessary to change the direction of the organization. This along our, alongside our growth and development committee amendment, which is basically a, a membership committee, if you're familiar with, familiar with other types of organizations, that centers on examining what methods help our members develop and helps our chapters lay a path to a stronger organization. Kind of a common theme probably which you've been hearing from a lot of folks here. We also lean into trusting our comrades, trusting our processes, and refining each other and our organization via a process of social and constructive struggle, right? And, you know, we've been modeling this by reaching out and engaging with and debating with comrades around our platform, various resolutions, many of whom I look forward to getting the opportunity to work with in the future as we struggle for unity and against dysfunction. I'll share a little bit more with you about this over the course of the panel, but appreciate you. And uh, again, John from Red Star with Sam and Megan. Thank you, John. Um, up next, we have Philip, Philip Locker. Hey, comrades. My name's Philip. Um, he, him pronouns. I've served as co-chair of Seattle DSA last year, and I'm a member of the Reform and Revolution Caucus, and I'm running um, along with another member of our caucus, Jesse Dreyer, for the NPC. Um, I think we have to face up to the fact that DSA is in crisis. It, it may be a slow motion crisis, but it's a crisis nevertheless. The most obvious sign of that that people are talking about is the fall in membership and chapter activity. 
but the roots are deeper, the roots are political. Um, and the way we see that is since Biden took office, we have seen a decline in social movements. And that reflects the fact that there is less clarity than there was under, under Trump on what's the left's role um, um, and how do we relate to Biden, the Democrats in power. And we need to really, I think the starting point for turning this around is to hammer home in DSA and on the left and in the working class that Biden is not on our side, he's not on our team in any sense. Um, and that we need to build, our focus needs to be built on building a, a working class left-wing opposition to the billionaire class. We're being very well represented by Biden, the Democrats in Congress, and we're not allies with those representatives. We are trying to build a left-wing working class opposition. Um, and with the Democrats in power, um, we need to focus on building grassroots struggles and movements from below that can bring social pressure to bear on big business and the political establishment to win our demands. And that has to be combined with our electoral work of having a block of socialist electeds who will, who will boldly stand out as a militant opposition to the Democratic uh, leadership. And you know, we'll get into this more in the other questions throughout the, the, uh, today, but I think you know, under the, the current MPC and the existing majority of that, which has been made up politically of the Socialist Majority Caucus, Green New Deal, and align senior staff like Maria Savart, I don't think DSA has, has faced up to these challenges sufficiently. We've seen a political and organizational crisis in, in our organization. And, and, I'm, and I'm running because I think we need a serious change in course. It does, it's a, sticking our heads in the sand and just saying we need to do more of the same, but just do it better. Uh, we need to do more, we need more organizational solutions, like more recruitment or more training of our members of how to be better organizers. I support all that, but that is not sufficient given the political roots of this crisis. And I think we need to seize the opportunity of this convention for a serious course correction to put the current majority of the MPC in a minority, put the moderate wing of DSA, Socialist Majority Caucus, and, and Green New Deal and Groundwork, who I have great respect for, are valuable comrades, but for them to be in a minority on this new national political committee, they've been leading the organization the last several years, and we're in a crisis. It's time for a change in course and to elect a left-wing majority to this MPC to run, to have a serious a uh, new a change, and that I think it's a very diverse left wing of DSA. I think it's well represented by this panel of the other caucuses, but I think we're broadly united by an agreement to have more independence from the Democrats and move towards a break, internal democracy, and prioritizing our rank and file labor work. And I think a left wing majority can seriously uh, put DSA on a healthier course. Look at that! You got your own timer. I love it. That's what we like to see. All right. Um, up next, and uh, rounding out this question, we have Sarah Callahan. Anyone, I'm very glad to be here um, among the many candidates running for National Political Committee. Um, my name is Sarah Callahan. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm running with the Socialist Majority Caucus slate, which has five other amazing people. Um, I believe DSA is the place to be fighting for socialism in the United States. And if you hear a little voice, I have like a seven-year-old running around asking questions about Minecraft, uh, so forgive that. Um, I got my start as an organizer in Wool, Alabama, canvassing for Bernie's 2016 campaign. Um, years later, I ended up moving to Cincinnati, where I joined our local DSA and sort of never looked back since then. Um, I started doing new member onboarding, which I really found my niche was um, helping out with that, developing our systems um, in Cincinnati. So that's sort of led me down the pipeline to my work with the Growth and Development Committee. And right now, I'm currently leading the electoral effort 
in Ohio to block a constitutional amendment that would stop any abortion rights or anti-during mandatory bills in Ohio. Um, I also serve on the Growth and Development Steering Committee, as well as the National Political Education Steering Committee as well. Um, our slate, SMC, believes we have no time to waste to organize for a socialist majority that combats racism, sexism, transphobia, and the like so many other areas of oppression that capitalism surrounds us with. The DSAS has so many electoral wins in the past two years that has been fantastic to see and really motivating to a lot of chapters, and we just can't afford to stop now. So we must build a mass movement by winning power and fighting for our political demands has DSA. And I'm really excited to uh, have the rest of the panel with everyone. All right, thank you, Sarah. Um, moving on to our next question. What's your take on DSA's relation to the Democratic Party uh, and to elected officials? Um, we're going to start with Amy on this question. Three minutes again. Um, yes, I think on our relation to the Democrats, it's often, we're often too cozy. Um, I think we need to understand and make clear that, you know, this is the, uh, it is a party of, of class enemies. Uh, when we talk about the Democrats, you know, it's a party that even though we can sometimes find uh, certain tactical agreements. Uh, ultimately, it's a party that stands against uh, working class power. It's a it's a party that uh, will uh, well. It's a party of empire, and it's a party that will stand against democracy. It'll sell us down the river on that. And if we get, um, you know, when we have to fight against the anti democratic organs of capitalist rule. Uh, and, you know, those are things that, again, the Democratic Party very much stands for. Uh, the courts, the cops, the Constitution, all of those things are things that uh, work against the working class. They are organs that uh, really just ensure capitalist class rule. And ultimately, the biggest thing that Democrats have promised, the biggest thing that uh, Biden has delivered on as of his campaign promises, really the only thing is nothing will fundamentally change. Uh, and that's what we can expect from Democrats. So we should be in in electoral work. We should be openly critical and intransigent opposition to the um, to the capitalist class. We should express our differences um, and really even more so than our similarities with progressive Democrats. Uh, you know, we talk about having uh, some of the things we'd like to see are a socialist caucus in in elected bodies uh, and you know more integration between DSA and our elected members. Um, a little bit more on our relationship with Democrats, I think that the dirty break is really under-practiced and under-theorized. Um, the idea of, you know, we use the Democratic ballot line, I think that's different from use of the party or participation in the party. Uh, if we can just use that for ballot access, that's not often how we work. But if we say that, we're just using this line for ballot access. We want you to vote socialist in the Democratic primary. I think that can work. That is still something where we can immediately start to break, immediately start to build socialist power, openly socialist power uh, through elections while still using where it's tactically necessary. Uh, for example, in, in states like New York that are so, have such heavily anti-democratic 
laws on the books that restrict ballot access, that's a place where it makes sense to run as a Democrat while openly being a socialist. Um, and that I think is, is, is the value there, but we need to be openly socialist and openly against Democrats broadly. Our relationship with elect electeds is underdeveloped. Uh, we need to- right, Gotta wrap it up, Amy, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, up next, we have CS. Thank you. Uh, the Democrats do not like us. That's the bottom line. Their leadership and members are taking steps to sideline us and minimize our influence. They're happily taking our money and labor when we give it to them, though. Um, we need to stand up for our positions and being socialist, as Amy said. Um, and we really need to emphasize those differences between us and the Democrats. So I'm really hoping that we do that in the future. Um, I'm also, I also believe that DSA's platform should be binding for elected officials of DSA. Too often we campaign for an elected and they betray our values from breaking strikes to increasing police budgets. We need to uh, desperately need a way to hold them accountable for those votes. And one of the ways that we can do that is that our electeds need to schedule regular town halls with our membership whether that's the national organization or our chapters and explain their votes to other members. And then we can, you know, hold them accountable for those votes. Um, we also need to really develop a bench so that no one is irreplaceable. That is very important to building an independent political party in the United States. Thank you, CS. Uh, next, we have Francis. Yeah, thank you. Um, oh, and seeing Michael's comment in the chat, I'll just say again, my name's Francis, I'm Los Angeles DSA, and I'm on the groundwork slate. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think that our relationship with the Democratic Party is an antagonistic one and could be more antagonistic. Um, I think that it really comes down to um, building independent political power. Like I think we have to be thinking of this as like a long-term project of party building. Um, and I think we need to think about it really concretely. Like what is DSA's fundraising capacity? What is your chapter's fundraising capacity? What is your um, like chapter's plan within the next year to double that capacity? Um, what does your field operation look like? Like how, how many doors can you realistically knock? Um, how many, what is your plan for after someone gets elected to like maintain that base of support in the community, not just within the chapter? Um, and that also comes down to like field and outreach and talking to people, um, you know, talking to constituents in the in whatever relevant district. Um, and I think that's something that DSA can be like incredibly strong at. Like those are really concrete things that we can all set, you know, goals for and move towards. And I think that is the project of party building um and building a mass movement um and i think um i think it was sorry if i'm i'm also kind of might lose track a little bit i think cs you mentioned like the town halls um i think those are incredibly important like maintaining that strong relationship with electeds after they get elected um you know we don't want to just be like rubber stamping people and sending them on through the process and then getting you know betrayed or what have you 
Um, we want to have like to be able to maintain those strong relationships after the fact. Um, and I think that comes with like uh, both the, the relationship building, which I think it's incredibly important that it is like org to office. You know, it's not just like one point person who talks to one person on staff and has that like insider connection. It's like the organization to the office itself. Um, and that the town halls are a perfect example of what that can look like. Um, we just did one um, in LA with one of our city council members and it was awesome. You know, she came to the, the meeting and was really like frank about how things were going in office and what like, she was struggling with and what she felt proud of. And we brought like, you know, we're able to bring chapter wide, it's open to all members. It was like chapter wide questions and comments and like, hey, why didn't you do this? Could you have done this? Like, can you fight a little harder for that? Um, and, you know, we can, that's, that was, an amazing event. It was easy to put together. We can do more of that. Um, so yeah, I think the the relationship should be like a fairly, you know, with the party apparatus should be like a fairly antagonistic one. Um, and then the relationship with electeds is one that we have to be really conscious and conscientious and intentional about building. Um, yeah. And I do think the field and fundraising is a really like concrete quantitative thing that we can like set goals towards in order to be uh, more effective. Oh, Sorry, Justin. Okay. Uh, I think you were basically done. Um, up next, we have John Lewis. All right. Uh, just like Michael X, uh, John Lewis, he, him, Red Star, Louisiana. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, one of the things, two of the things I was going to talk about a little bit when in relation to our relationship with the Democratic Party was ballot familiarity. And there's also this other bit of pretty much the restriction of voting rights and kind of these legal barriers that have been thrown up across various states to kind of make third party ballot access as difficult as possible or even make it almost close to impossible in some states, you know, like, and we know that a lot of these legal barriers kind of tell the success of historical anti-capitalist parties, you know, and then there's also the issue of like, well, if you try to change the Democratic Party from inside or take it over, right? Like the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party tried to change that organization and they they picked the racist Dixiecrats over them and pushed them out, right? They did this until they until that party completely dissolved, you know? So I think about it from the sense of like, we know from historical examples, both within and without that like, they're gonna be antagonistic and it's gonna get worse as we continue along this path of building social power growing our organization and really going down those steps to build an independent workers party like Francis was talking about a little bit, right? So when I look at this from the sense of like the two party system isn't ideal, right? But these are specific conditions. And so we will have to work to change that. That's what revolutionaries do. That's what radicals do. So I think that we'll have a long fight in this, but I think that we have a way of doing it. And for right now, many candidates may run as Democrats or they may run as independents depending on wherever they're at. The key thing is, is that whatever line they run on is that what matters most is that they are committed socialists win who are winning those seats. They are openly socialist, socialist as much and as safe as possible because some states it can get a little weird now. And they engage in Marxist policy, right? So another key thing about this is that an ideal socialist in office is one that lends credibility to our movement, assists our other areas of struggle, and helps remove barriers to the existence of that independent workers' party. A socialist that is committed to the democratic principles of our organization and also willingly accepts progressive levels of accountability to their comrades as needed. Bad relationships and opportunist relationships will not serve us or make our political expression appear any different from existing liberal varieties, right? So if we cannot unite on socialist and democratic principles, then what can we unite on? That's it for me.
Thank you, John. Uh, up next, Philip, Philip Locker. Yeah, I think our, we have to our face up to the reality that our electoral work is increasingly in trouble. Um, our most high profile DSA electeds are increasingly moving, are increasingly not representing DSA and moving towards, at the same time, moving towards being a loyal opposition uh, towards uh, to Biden and the Democratic establishment. Uh, we just saw that uh, yesterday when the most well-known uh, or second well, most well-known after Bernie Sanders, uh, AOC, uh, socialist in the United States, AOC, announced and widely reported as a member of DSA and endorsed by DSA, announced she's endorsing Joe Biden for re-election in very positive terms with only the most mild criticism. Um, that is the position, whether uh, that is the position the socialist movement is now um, sort of being associated with. Um, we had also a DSA member in Congress, Jamal Bowman, an endorsed member, vote for military funding for uh, the apartheid state of Israel. We had three DSA Congress members voting to ban the railway strike. And DSA, and obviously it's not like DSA magically has control over these things, but where has DSA been? When, they, when these uh, violations of basic poor socialist policies have been broken, um, again, under the leadership of the current NPC, and we should name names, we should be clear, and not, it's not just amorphous, vague forces. It's the Socialist Majority Caucus, and uh, I think Groundwork Slate represents a lot of the same politics that uh, the Green New Deal had in, in, uh, as a majority on the NPC. Um, they uh, have been largely silent, trailing behind this, not really addressing these challenges or problems, uh, seeing them as uncomfortable and better just brushed aside. But the reality is we are being there is a, we are if we don't address them, it doesn't make them go away. Um, and there's been no serious effort to engage with DSA electeds to move close to move towards closer collaboration, there's a, uh, or coordination and developing our own socialist caucus um, that we use. And we need a socialist caucus of our electeds in Congress and also on local levels like New York has to use our their platform to champion DSA politics and campaigns. Um, I would um, just point people to two resolutions that Reform and Revolution and Marxist Unity Group developed together. One is a resolution to take up, we need to support our electeds a lot more and that means engaging them and backing them up, but it also means uh, giving them constructive feedback when they break our policies. Um, and there's, we have a resolution to formally censure Jamal Bowman uh, for the, uh, the vote to fund the Israeli military and also to condemn the vote on the railway strike. But also we have a resolution about developing a more party-like electoral strategy, uh, which is having re recruiting candidates will run as so openly as socialists against the democratic establishment in their public facing material, use their campaigns to promote DSA's policies and campaigns and form socialist caucuses and other things. People can check out, I think the link's being dropped and finally, also that we have to take a decision at this convention not to endorse Joe Biden, to make it clear we're not on his team, like AOC announced, that uh, he's not representing us, though we are alive to the threat of the right, and we can discuss how to combat them from an your, independent Your basis. time, Philip. Thank Got you. It. Okay. Um, next up is Sarah Callahan. Hey, everyone. Sarah with SMC. Um, I think DSA has been very successful at running candidates on the Democratic ballot line in winning offices. Um, we can run on the Democratic ballot line as socialists and should expect our endorsed candidates to do so as well. 
Um, I think elected officials have done a good job getting DSA's name out and to have many people be exposed to socialism in the United States. Um, even as we face challenges that have happened primarily due to the success of our electoral program, we should not underestimate the success of our electoral, what it represents. The U.S. socialist movement has had nothing like our wins in ages, and I think that's truly something that we have to celebrate. Uh, we are winning massively, and that's awesome. Um, and it's very clear that DSA is different from the Democratic Party, has shown by how many Democratic Party leaders talk about our, uh, talk about DSA and our organization in some of our most successful chapters. And that's all I'll say about that. Thank you, Sarah. And wrapping up on this question, Alex Pelletieri. Yeah, so first I just want to say that I recognize that in many places, like my home state of New York, it's almost impossible to win an election on a third party. And I also recognize that, you know, uh, doing being a legislator sometimes means working with your colleagues who may not be totally politically aligned. However, as a whole, I think that our relationship with the Democratic Party um, is, is far too close. So DSA, as, as many of you know, DSA has adopted the inside-outside strategy. So that means that we're going to elect people um, to advocate for our priorities inside, like the, the legislator, but also continue to agitate outside as DSA members. And I think that we've devoted a lot of time and emphasis to the inside part of that, but as a result, has really neglected the outsider part of that. Um, and I've seen, you know, in New York City and beyond, that many elected officials have adopted this orientation that their goal is to just pass legislation that would help the working class. Um, but they would do that by any means necessary, even if it means cozying up to the Democrats. And I absolutely think that we, we need to pass good legislation that will improve people's material conditions, but that alone does not build socialism. And I think that we've seen this, you know, this has led to an unwillingness to challenge the Democratic Party. And I think that this really uh, manifested with many members of the squad uh, who voted uh, to break the rail strike. And ultimately, I think that our goal should be to have people view elections as a competition between a Democrat, a Republican, and a socialist. And yes, even in some cases, that will be a socialist running in the Democratic primary. And our goal, and especially over the next two years, should be to offer an alternative vision to the Democrats, to the Democratic Party, and really point out how they, as well as the Republicans, have failed working class people. So this means that having a different operation is not enough. Simply um, you know, doing things differently from the Democrats is not enough. We have to have a different and confrontational uh, messaging and communication strategy. And it also means preserving our political independence and socialist identity, even if it means losing political capital in Albany, maybe pissing off um, Democratic leaders, maybe having them, you know, not give a, give uh, them bills that we want. You know, it, it's only worth it if we can maintain our identity as socialists. So, in an ideal world, and over the next few years. Uh, I really hope that the squad and anyone else DSA elects to office are not just seen as, as the left wing of the Democratic Party, but rather seen as democratic socialists. Okay, thank you, Alex. Um, next question. Um, how could DSA stop the decline of activity of members, decline in membership, and instead become a force that has an impact in society, a campaigning force punching above our weight. We'll start with CS. 
Hi, I'm CS Jackson. I'm from LSC. And as I said earlier, we need to invest more on developing and empowering our members. I don't think there's enough trust uh, between our leadership and our members. We don't trust our members to do things and know the areas that they're in and their communities. Um, DSA as a whole needs to be more active in our communities. We need to walk the block, do tenant organizing, and meet with our neighborhood leaders. There's already organizing happening in our neighborhoods. We just need to find out where it is and how it's being done. We don't need to parachute all the time. Um, and I also, we need to work with organizers in the South and other areas neglected by the US political elite. Uh, specifically, there's areas of California that have been abandoned by Sacramento. There's areas of New York that have been abandoned by Albany. We need to be in those areas and helping people as much as we can and developing their education and political development. And we need honesty and transparency in our leadership. We need to tell no lies and take no easy victories. We need to admit, it, admit and analyze our defeats and learn from them. We need to allow members to do free labor for the organization, whether that's the National uh, Council of Grievance Officers or the National Tech Committee. Doing so will free up staff time to do work on other things. Thank you, CS. Um, Francis. Yeah. Um... I'm glad that this question is on the panel. I mean, I think we probably have some shared agreement that this is the most, one of the most urgent questions that the coming NPC will face. Um, the decline in membership um, is, is, you know, it's a, a alarming. Um, and of course comes along with a decline in like revenue and worries about budget constraints, which um, is also alarming and stressful. Um, I think, you know, some people take the analysis that this is like a, Kind of a purely like a political problem and if we had taken different positions on different issues um, or oriented ourselves differently in different debates that we would not be facing this kind of membership and then on the other side kind of i think some people and i would include myself on this side see it more as like an organizing problem um i think we've probably all had experiences of trying to get involved in a dsa project and like never getting onboarded or getting like stepped up into leadership before you were ready um being like wanting to join a chapter chat or Slack or something and no one ever adding you, um, wanting to participate in a chapter debate and no one ever kind of taking the time to explain what the issues were that people are debating. Um, I think we've all had the experience of being in a meeting for a new project or working group and um, finding that like it doesn't take off or it doesn't find, it doesn't get its legs under it. Um, I think it can be very confusing and um, like, frustrating sometimes to navigate our organization. And I think that's a huge problem. Um, I think we lose a lot of folks who join and are interested in the work that we're doing and because they never get appropriately like onboarded or developed into leaders. And um, I think that's, you know, that's a big problem. Um, obviously these things are related. The organizing problem, the analysis of it as an organizing problem and the analysis of it as a political problem are deeply interrelated. Um, but I think we have to, it's, it's critically important that as leaders, we think of ourselves as, as organizers and as political leaders, um, and that we see our job as welcoming people into the organization and keeping people here and developing them as new leaders. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm about to run out of time. Um, so I'll stop. You have 43 seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think also um, the, the political landscape in which we're organizing is obviously at play here too. There has been like this decline in kind of engagement with social movements under the Biden administration, and that won't be the case forever. We really need to get the structures in place to be effective on borders and organizers and new members, or else when the new rush of folks come in, which will happen, there will be another moment of rupture, we won't be ready to greet them. All right, thank you, Francis. Uh, next is John. All right, well, really pretty much just like we've already been talking about this whole idea of like politics and organizing. And, you know, like the politics is always going to be the foundation of the decisions made by the Orange National, and the decisions made by the Orange National political leadership, its chapters and its members matter, right? What also matters is how effective the organization, organization is at being an articulator for socialist politics, aka one that transforms workers into socialists, into protagonists ready to fight for themselves. And I think we achieve this both through organizing and influencing and developing people with our politics and developing those methods, right? And right now, like we kind of formalize our membership around the last time the dues payment, and this is fine, this is totally normal. However, we don't have a formal, a formalized or widely distributed method to track member activity. Some chapters have begun doing this, right? But we don't really have a way of actually tracking who's active, who's been active in the last three to six months, what are the ways that we can do this? And then alongside this being paired with a deeper analysis of like what makes chapters successful, like we put in our growth and development committee amendment and a democracy and the democracy commission resolution that was proposed can help expose successful organizing patterns and toss out false patterns, right? We have to examine our effectiveness at developing members, both as socialists and as organizers. This is the key to the effectiveness, right? You know, like when I joined DSA, my chapter was dead. Our first revival meeting, we had five people in there. Our roster had 168 people on it. We saw this, we were like, oh, we just got to organize. We out here. No, <laughs> right? Like, no, right? There was no comrade cavalry riding to our rescue. But we adopted organizing methods that enabled the chapter to build credibility locally, intentionally recruit members, and engage people as open socialists in a place with no other, uh, with, base, with no other base of organized socialists and almost non-existent union activity. If we, if we can do it there, we can find the organizing patterns that can help all our chapters and future chapters be that transformative political organization in the area if they aren't already, right? Or even improve upon that, right? Even if the chapter is already successful, it could even be even more successful, right? We build our social power via our base, right? That's the way I see it. All of our power comes from people power. If we want staff, we want stipends, we want money for resources, we want money for campaigns, we need people, we need influence, and we need more socialists. The way I see it is kind of like rolling a snowball downhill. We're always adding more socialists to it, rolling over larger and larger bastions of bourgeois ideology until eventually it's an unstoppable force that smashes capitalism. We achieve that with principled politics and scientific organizing. Appreciate you. Thank you, John. Up next is Philip. I love that analogy about the snowball. I've never heard that before. I'm going to have to use that. But I think the answer, the, I think the answer to this question, the two aspects of this question are related. Um, I think the key to, to reversing the decline of our membership and activity is to become a force that has an impact in society, a campaigning force that actually uh, gauge, uh, is an effective campaigning organization of struggle that can bring workers and marginalized people into action and, and really win 
material improvements in their lives. It proves to them that DSA is an organization, not just a nice idea, but an organization that can make a real difference in their lives. And they have a stake in being part of. Um, and I think that flows from, I think a critical thing is we need to use our resources as an organization, bring all of our resources to bear rather than just working in silo chapters. It's great. I think it's real strength of DSA. We have so many chapters and room for experimentation, but I think we're also missing a, a huge resource of the ability to bring our resources together as a national organization. I think the NPC has a critical role to lead on, on trying to create national campaigns and offering resources for chapters and trying to mobilize our most prominent representatives to promote those priority campaigns. Um, and try to, and I think that's a step, it can't be done artificially, but to try, I think that's a step towards creating more cohesion in, in our organization, have more common national campaigns, not forcing chapters to do that, but giving an offer to them and creating momentum and testing it out. And I think an example of that is a, a resolution that I was one of the co-authors of with several other comrades for a fighting campaign for reproductive rights and trans liberation for us to develop the second half of this year and launch at the beginning of 2024 as a nationwide priority campaign that we're, we, um, we hope will be voted on at the convention. Um, and I think that's an opportunity for us to have a campaigning edge that will allow us to independently intervene in the 2024 election cycle, connect with a radicalizing layer that's looking to fight back against right-wing Republican attacks on trans and reproductive rights, and is hungry for something more than the inadequate response from the Democrats. I would note that last year, YDSA Reform and Revolution Comrades helped put forward a resolution to a similar thing in YDSA last year, which passed, and YDSA carried out that campaign then it was one of the most, one of the largest campaigns and most successful campaigns YDSA did. And YDSA has been growing, whereas the rest of DSA has not. Um, and I think a, mass, a serious national campaign that brings all our resources together and tools is create, means that the NPC and national staff creating material and resources for chapters to use, like leaflets, posters, public meeting uh, topics and speakers, social media tools, um, but also having regular town halls provide updates to our membership. But also the NPC reaching out to our elected officials and formally asking them to endorse and commit to use their platforms to aggressively promote this campaign and its actions, to work with other with our prominent members to write op-eds and reach out to the mass media. So to really mobilize all of our forces to the point of attack. Great timing. Okay. Um, up next is Sarah. Thanks, Justin. So my answer to this is that we just need to talk to our members more. Um, one of the things that I've learned being on the growth and development team is that when we, you know, we do our monthly or bi-monthly spokes to members who have dues lapse, 99% um, of them are like, thank you for reminding me. Like, I don't know what happened, whatever happened, sign me up right away. Um, it's like super, super rare. I think I've done this six, seven times now gotten one person who has been like, no thanks. Um, and if we take ourselves seriously, we have to make sure we have mastered the basic work of running a mass member organization. If we want DSA to be as serious and as revolutionary as possible, I mean, it starts on the ground. We need to have our admin work intact. We need to make sure that new members, when they're so full of energy, they're getting the trainings to turn into like super great organizers. They feel comfortable going out, leading canvassing, putting on panels, whatever the case may be. We need to provide them the tools and training so they feel comfortable for that. 
um, onboarding isn't an optional part of running a successful organization. People want to know what to do. When you give them tasks, people will do it. Um, I was just out canvassing today. We ran a big texting phone bank for Cincinnati and we had like five people who I'd never even heard of in my four or three years in DSA show up to Canvas because they got disconnected during COVID. People want a socialist future. People want to turn out for that. Um, and we just got to get our admin stuff on control where people can show up or we're providing chapters with successful tools on how to do this. The more DSA is able to stay in contact with its members across the country, the stronger we are going to be. Local conditions and natural strategies can inform each other and younger chapters can learn from organizing past experience rather than learning it all again from scratch. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Alex, or, sorry, not Alex. Uh, yeah, Alex, my bad. I was, I was looking at the wrong list. Go ahead, Alex. No worries. Um, so yeah, I think that there's two main things that we need to do. Uh, one is give chapters more resources to develop engaging, engaging campaigns. And the other one is to make sure that our politics are meeting the moment. So as I said before, uh, I've been an organizer with the Hunter College YDSA chapter, uh, and we tried to start a YDSA chapter at Hunter several times, but it, it never really got off the ground until we had the New Deal for CUNY campaign, which was a campaign uh, to make uh, public universities in New York City tuition free. And when we had that campaign that really meant a lot to CUNY students, that is one when we saw an explosion in our membership. Uh, and I think that, that wasn't just because we retained existing members or made sure that they re-upped their dues, it was because we actively developed them into political leaders. Uh, so that experience really exposed to me how difficult it can be to start a, a DSA formation uh, from scratch and how much like a good campaign can really grow a chapter uh, and develop organizers. So, you know, if I am on the MPC, I am really going to be committed and something I want to prioritize is using my experience um, as a campaign manager, as a priority campaign leader, and as an organizer in New York City DSA to help other chapters uh, sophisticate their campaign infrastructure um, and, and really grow uh, their membership. I also think that that it's absolutely you know vital that our politics are, are meeting uh, the upcoming moment. Um, I, I think it was, it was Phil who said before that part of the reason why we've seen a decrease in our membership is because there's not as much of, of this social movement or uh, politicalization as there was under the Trump years. Uh, and, and the upcoming 24, 2024 election, I think we'll, we'll see a resurgence of that where you know, traditionally in presidential elections, working class people are paying attention to politics more than they are any other time. Um, but you know, the past two elections, we've had Bernie to offer that socialist perspective. We don't have him this year. You know, it's gonna be a competition between a far right insane Republican and a milquetoast Democrat, but it's still our responsibility to offer an alternative and offer um, the socialist view. And that's why one of the resolutions that I'm really excited about is to defend democracy through political independence resolution, uh, which Brendan Roses is proposing, because this gives us a way um, or, or an opportunity to offer the socialist view of this election, uh, to offer uh, an alternative to still make sure that socialism is, is relevant in uh, national electoral politics, but also engage in many of these social movement struggles, such as the fight for abortion rights, uh, against um, uh, anti-trans laws, against the charity bu budget, still engage in these fights, still talk to people, still recruit members, but doing so as the socialist pole of those fights.
Thanks, Alex. Rounding out this question, we have Amy. Yeah, um, I really think I agree with a lot of the things said already. Um, one of the big things we need to do, uh, when we talk about developing members as um, one, of the, one of the things we need to do, we exactly, we do need to develop members, we do need to onboard people, we need to get them involved in our politics. Um, but one of the important parts of that is that we need to develop members as protagonists, as leaders in campaigns, political leaders, um, something Alex was speaking to. Um, you know, it is, I think that a lot of the times things that mobilize our members, uh, things like canvassing, um, things like, uh, heck, you know, some groups like to do banner drops. I don't think DSA does a lot of that, but that's that can be something to mobilize and to get people involved, get them uh, reactivated. Um, but to keep people involved in the struggle, keep people involved politically, um, we need to, yeah, we need to develop members as saying, you know, not just uh, let's help with this campaign, but, you know, how can you run a campaign? How can you develop, how can you develop and exert power outside of these campaigns, you know, relative to the state? Um, a big part, a big thing that we need to do, and this is part of, you know, getting that feedback from uh, national chapters talking to each other, chapters talk. Um, and chapters talking directly to each other, we need to enhance those feedback systems. Um, right now, there's, you know, as was said, um, most of the time, we only really get to talk to national every two years. Um, chapters don't really have any other method of feedback for the most part. Uh, I actually want to, you know, want to boost the uh, proposal for National Delegates Council, uh, make sure that chapters have a voice on a body that would meet periodically. Um, and when there is some major uh, national crisis or just a major uh, question for the national DSA, uh, and that would make sure chapters have a voice and a way to give that feedback. Uh, one important thing we need to do, I, I think, also is make sure that we can uh, when there's dissent within the organization, either within our ranks or within different bodies of the organization, um, yes, I am talking about the BDS working group. Um, one of the important things we need to do is make sure that we understand how to and, and build ways to uh, take that dissent. And uh, even when we disagree with it, we try to understand what the truth is there, what value we can find from it. And rather than taking a, a really punitive kind of suppressive approach, um, which is uh, can be can look easy but can be, but generally is ineffective. And I think this is also true with elected, you know, elected members. Uh, how can we take that dissent? How can we take those concerns and uh, integrate them into our work? Um, a big thing we need to do for, for messaging internally and externally. Um, I'm gonna quote the same thing that CS did. Uh, Claim no easy victories, hide nothing from the masses of our people. Uh, those, you know, after-action reports, self-criticism, um, just reports on campaigns, uh, whatever we call them, they need to be open. We need to be open about the successes, the failures, the difficulties. You're uh, in the maybe. Sorry. Okay. You want to you finish your thought real quick? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, we need to be open about those, uh, both internally, externally. Um, we need to be honest with our members and the people at large. Thank you. All right. Um, next question. Um, how do we apply DSA's anti-imperialist platform in the face of the war in Ukraine and rising inter-imperialist tensions? 
Uh, we'll go to Francis first on this. Yeah. Um, so, and this is a, another excellent question. Um, I think there's like a couple of things that I'd want to point to to answer this. Um, you know, one, there's kind of the question of like, what should the international committee be doing? Um, I think we have to, you know, the international committee should be build, building relationships with parties across the globe that we can leftist parties across the globe that we can learn from and that we can apply lessons learned there into the work that we're doing here. Um, so that's kind of like a diplomacy piece. Um, a, a very real reality is that um, the relationships that we build with parties across the globe are reflective of kind of the fact that we have DSA members in Congress. Um, and so there's this contradiction and this tension between the fact that like it's our DSA electeds in Congress who um, are earning us enough of a kind of like global representation in order to be able to like form relationships with successful mass working class parties, you know, across the across the globe. And also that sometimes our DSA electeds in Congress take bad votes that we have to figure out how to like hold them accountable for. Um, and so like that's kind of one piece of it, like navigating that contradiction and figuring out like exactly how we orient ourselves as an organization to those contradictions um, without losing the power that we've that we've gained, um, but also leveraging the power that we have in order to push our congressional electeds to take um, take better votes that we can agree, you know, votes that we can agree on um, as an organization. Um, the second thing that I'd want to point to is that, um, you know, the the US policy abroad uh, across the globe and especially throughout Latin America is a driving force in the fact that we have, um, you know, the oppression of immigrants here in the US. Um, we have people immigrating to this country and then facing significant oppression. And that's something that the organization should take on as like a priority of our work. You know, we should orient towards um, like campaigning and mass education uh, that addresses that oppression. Um, there's, you know, immigrants make up something like, I, I, don't, I think it's like 10 to 20% of the US population. And a lot of the oppression that immigrants face is at the workplace. You know, these are, um, these are issues that we should adopt as a serious priority for the organization. And um, I think that that goes hand in hand with how we like enact our anti-imperialist um, values. All right, thank you, Francis. Uh, next is John. All right, yeah, uh, John, he, him, Red Star. Uh, I think, yeah, not, uh, kind of talking about the International Committee, I think we have to follow the research and analysis set forth by our comrades in the International Committee that was approved by our NPC. And if we disagree with the outcomes, we should join the committee and subject our thoughts to the democratic accountability and engage in constructive struggle because we are socialists, we're radicals. We will have to struggle around ideas, and we have. So, you know, I think that if we are going to continue to follow through with the organization's anti-war stance, a stance that has historically been opposed by our government and its capitalist parties, we're going to expect the blowback, but we have to be stalwart on socialist principle in the spirit of Debs and others who refuse to relent on their anti-war stance, right? So, you know, we charge no capitalist wars. We push for peace as war harms everyone always. And our guiding path must be to bring people to the table and talk. And as long as the United States isn't doing that, it supports the ongoing conflict in Ukraine that is harming, that is harming the working class people of Ukraine and Russia, an invasion in which the Russian government should not have done, right? Like we can actively continue to critique the US and others that engage in warmongering and other things of that nature because 
we know that this will continue to happen, right? This will continue to go on. There will continue to be the repression of working class people, of resistance to, to imperialism and others across the globe, right? And the key thing is, is that unless we are able to build an instrument that can do something about it, and again, this is a long-term goal, right? Because we are at the heart of empire, you know, like we have to continue to find ways to be in unity with the working class of the world against that imperialism. You know, like, and I'll also close on that. I definitely appreciate the opportunities via the National Committee to meet with various uh, socialist and communist parties from across the world, like especially the Communist Party of Kenya. Uh, one of their vice chairmen actually gave us a ton of information, a ton of perspective in relation to kind of dealing with U.S. AFRICOM, other things of that nature, and kind of like what they're doing to actually grow the movement in their location too. You know, I think those types of relationships in which like, yes, not only do are we kind of like partnering with other groups or learning from them or sending delegations or other things of that nature, but also just creating opportunities for us to learn, share, grow, and develop our members via those via those connections as well is another key point. It can be as simple as just hopping on a call, hopping on a Zoom, and sharing information, right? Because the more that our members and our electeds especially understand these conflicts and understand the U.S. role in these conflicts, the NATO role in this conflict, because we are anti-NATO as well, right, based on our platform, the more that they are able to understand this, the more that we're able to push against it. Thank you. Thank you, John. And I'm just gonna say, please relax in the chat. If the chat gets too crazy, we're gonna shut it down. So chill out. Um, next is Philip. Um, I think that, the MPC put out a strong statement at the beginning of this war, which I agree with, that correctly condemned Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine and called for a total withdrawal of Russian forces. Um, but I think since then, there's been a lack of a, of, of a, of a leadership from the MPC on this issue, uh, and we haven't been really grappling enough with it. Um, where I think we need to put oppose obviously Russia's invasion and Russian and oppose the, the uh, Russian imperialism and support the struggle against the Russian occupation of Ukraine. But we also have to see that it takes place in a larger context of a new Cold War, which is an, an, an inter-imperialist conflict between the forces of US and NATO imperialism on one hand and Russia and China on the other hand. And our first and most important task as socialists in the United States is to oppose our is um, is to oppose our own ruling class and its propaganda. So um, reform and revolution and Marxist unity group we put forward a resolution that we've made into an amendment to the international committee resolution um, on the war in Ukraine that tries to clarify more and for us to have a democratic debate and take a decision more about what's our policy at DSA uh, that goes for you know beyond the very initial statement that MPC put out at the beginning of the war, and that is that we need to take a clear stance that we're against any budget that allows the Pentagon to maintain its global war machine and includes military aid to US client states, such as the apartheid state of Israel, but also the right-wing government of Ukraine, that we oppose US weapons and military aid to the, as I said, the pro-NATO, pro-capitalist, undemocratic Ukrainian government, that we're against the presence, um, you know, that we're, and that, and not, you know, um, we're against the presence of Russian troops in Ukraine, and we want to actively build solidarity with the Russian anti-war movement and solidarity with left-wing forces in Ukraine um, and agitate for which the U.S. withdrawal from NATO, closing uh, U.S. foreign military bases and bringing home all U.S. troops. That's in our platform, but we have to apply that to the war in Ukraine. Um, and I think one thing we can do is actually, is also as part of this, is get actively involved in beginning to build a, a peace movement in this country. And we call for 
the NPC and International Committee to organize an anti-war conference at the beginning of 2024 to begin discussing uh, concrete actions to uh, build a mass peace movement. The other element I would just raise is we need to stop ignoring the shameful fact, at least from my perspective, that all of our current endorsed Congress members have voted unanimously to expand NATO. I think that's disgraceful. And they've all voted for every single military appropriations to fund the US intervention, the destructive interventionist war. And I think the convention needs to take a stance. Do we support that? Our resolution says we should call on our members in elected office to vote in accordance with the policy I laid out and that the new NPC should prioritize opening up a discussion with those Congress members to discuss that and see if we can reach agreement or if not organize an open town hall to discuss this with them and our members. Thanks, Philip. Sarah? Hey everyone, Sarah with SOC. DSA has to be able to walk the thin line of being able to openly condemn the Russian invasion of Ukraine while also refusing to publicly support NATO as a military organization. As anti-imperialists, we must strongly oppose the Russian invasion in the blatant effort to annex territory pursued by the Russian government. We must also avoid the conflation of Russian people with their state and offer our support to any anti-war protesters who reject the nationalist project by the invasion. We also have to take a firm stance against any cluster bombs that Biden's pushing to Ukraine. Um, not good. Um, our goals as an organization are ultimately international in nature and strong relationships across the goal will be essential to us. If we gain power in the US, we will be able to increasingly act in solidarity the way we want to with working class people from across the globe. Learning from their struggles and supporting them here is crucial. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, next is Alex. Yeah, so I think our allegiance should always be with the working class uh, of, of, of other countries. Uh, you know, we should take a class-centered approach to international conflicts, and we should do that regardless of um, what political tendency the leaders of the country involved claim to be. And I think as socialists, it's very important that we be very critical of American interventionalism when it is actually helping uh, far-right forces or, or helping uh, an oppressive regime, especially if it is done in the name of helping working class people, which has historically uh, been done a lot. So ultimately, I think that the way that we impose U.S. imperialism is by supporting, or any imperialism really, is by supporting working class leftist movements in the Ukraine and, and beyond. All right, thank you, Alex. Up next is Amy. Great. Sorry, pulling my notes. Um, yeah, so in general, the anti-imperialist platform with, you know, again, we do have those rising inter-imperialist tensions, excuse me, um, uh, with Russia, with China, um, with both to some extent, uh, hard to say how much that is a unified thing, but uh, we should, the quick answer for Ukraine and generally the world, we need to oppose U.S. intervention and the expansion of the U.S. sphere of influence. Uh, U.S. intervention can never be progressive and because it can never be for the benefit of the people, of the workers. Uh, Ukraine is evidence of both of those things. Uh, you know, first of all, the aid as we say to Ukraine, um, it's not free. Uh, we're putting Ukraine in debt. 
uh, to the United States. We're putting it deeper. We're putting the nation deeper and deeper into uh, debt to the U.S. to our to uh, you know um, our international organizations, as it were, um, and just pulling it further into the U.S. empire. Uh, there's also clearly no interest in uh, what's good for the people there in the long term in terms of U.S. intervention. Uh, you, uh, weapons that we've sent already, uh, you know, Sarah mentioned cluster munitions. That's something we clearly need to oppose. But, um, you know, something that the U.S. is already sending and uh, NATO allies already sending uh, is depleted uranium rounds. Uh you use depleted uranium somewhere and you're just going to cause cancer for generations. Uh, we know that. We know that from their use in Iraq. Um, everyone except the U.S. government essentially recognizes that. Um, and in fact, when there were rumors that Russia was going to send depleted uranium, we were, uh, you know, every U.S. outlet was against it. Uh, now that the U.S. is doing it, oh, not that bad. Um but we need to be prepared for this. We need to be prepared and understand these things about the nature of the U.S. empire and U.S. intervention. Uh, and we need to oppose it. And we need to be ready to take the show on the road as the, as the U.S. empire does. Because as the U.S. begins to fail, as there are growing tensions, uh, there will be more conflicts. Uh, there will be more that others start. And the U.S. is like, well, we'll just help out with that. Uh, there'll be more that the U.S. starts, and we need to be ready. We need to build this principled opposition. We need to build an anti-war machine before we, well, we need it already, but before we need it more. Thank you, Amy. Uh, and uh, last on this question, CS. Yeah, I just want to take the opportunity to echo John's uh, call to have everyone join uh, our national working groups and committees. Uh, I also signed the leadership pledge that Red Star put out that would do an audit of all our committees and structures uh, to find out who's in charge and how they work. Um, so please sign up for your, those working groups. I want to express solidarity with the Ukrainian and Russian working class fighting a proxy war between Russia and the United States. Uh, our opposition to war should be conditional on a good guy versus bad guy narrative. Uh, people are suffering because global powers are fighting. Um, Ukraine has taken the opportunity to ban leftist parties and leaders. Uh, also, Zelensky's on record is saying there won't be any elections as long as the war is happening. This is this is not it's not a good sign of a healthy democracy for that to be happening. Uh, this war will continue to escalate. We already, like Amy had said, there's a depleted uranium, you know, cluster bombs coming. What's going to be next? Is there going to be, you know, nuclear missiles that we're going to station on in Ukraine? And then um, once those weapons are delivered, who's going to be in charge of them? Uh, we previously in the United States history, we armed the, uh, the Muhaddin in Afghanistan, and those weapons came back to haunt us later on. Um, you know, and once the U.S. gets bored or is done with Ukraine, attention will be focused on China. So this is very important that we stand opposed to any war, whether or not there's a good guy versus bad guy narrative. Thank you, CS. Uh, last question. 
what do other candidates or trends in DSA get wrong? Uh, first on this is John. All right, yeah, uh, John Lewis, he, him, Red Star. So, you know, this question is a little hard for me to answer, not for fear of political or interpersonal reprisal, which I've dealt with for what I consider good faith criticism, but because I've already had discussions with candidates and slates around proposed amendments or politics, or if there was something concerning or different, we directly discussed this difference or concerns were had with Red Star's platform, it was presented and we engaged in constructive struggle. We had discussions with Amy, Rashad, Tom, CS, Aaron, Brandy, Philip, Jesse, Ahmed, Catherine, Austin, Louisa, Kristen, Jorge, Julius, Alexander, Marash, and Renee. I'd rather bring it directly to you in good faith, even if it's challenging or frustrating, so we can refine and develop these ideas. And I don't think we have time today to get into the reads of true social struggle. That said, what I think is wrong is the, general, is the generative and carceral conflict, pushing out people you consider to be political opponents solely on that basis, blocking and trashing comrades as if they are enemies for simple disagreements. This behavior is wrong. It harms our organization's ability to operate. It's a very fearful style of leadership and we cannot continue to replicate this. We have to trust our comrades. We have to trust our comrades. We have to trust our comrades and refine our processes as necessary. We have to engage in good faith which means with honesty and directly, even when it's hard. If we are to be the collective leadership, we have to struggle for unity and seek to convince, not dominate one another. Our enemy is capitalism, not our comrades. So if you are willing to struggle for a better world, I'm down to struggle with you. I'll let the others follow this as they see fit. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, up next is Philip. Um, I want to highlight the uh, the debate and in, in crisis and organization around Jamal Bowman's vote on the uh, funding the Israeli military and Iron Dome in terms of what other trends in DSA got wrong. Um, I think it, that was seriously mishandled by the majority of the current NPC. And again, to to name names, um, not and I do that in a comradely spirit of of, of respect. Not uh, I agree with what John was just saying. We, we don't need it culture of, 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 of destruction or anything like that, but we should have also open, frank discussion of disagreements. And that, that there was a disagreement, or I, I disagree with how the, the comrades from Socialist Majority Caucus and Green New Deal handled that. And I would like to actually ask the candidates running from Socialist Majority Caucus and Groundwork, which I feel has a lot of overlap with the Green New Deal. Um, you know, you weren't on the NPC at that time, but what do you think of what, of how your caucus and how the majority of the NPC handled it? But just to summarize, I think instead of there was instead of uh, I think they refused to to take serious measures to address and separate DSA from Bowman's vote to fund the Israeli military. Instead, what the majority did actually is voted to shut down the BDS working group when they were the loudest voice criticizing Bowman and DSA. And I think that was a a serious uh, mistake and deeply undemocratic. Um, it create it's a, it's a really bad precedent to when there's a debate in the organization and you have a formation that's publicly criticizing our leadership to shut it down, to try to use administrative measures rather than to politically answer it. And they faced a huge backlash. I think that was a sign of the democratic health and vitality of DSA, that there was a backlash and they were forced to overturn that within a week. Um, but um, you know, in my view, I don't, I think, I think I understand why they wanted to shut down the BDS working group in one sense. I think they and the comrades might not like this, but I think the BDS working group was not the most constructive at times in raising their criticisms. But I think the priority that was secondary 
to the priority of addressing what's far more destructive is that Jamal Bowman, as an, as an endorsed socialist and as a member of organization, was voting to fund the Israeli military. And the priority is to address that um, and defend the right of minority views, even if they raise things unconstructively or oppositional views, to raise those and try to help them to do it in a more constructive way. Um, I think others on the left in DSA, I think, made a mistake also of calling simply, uh, or I have concerns about the call just to expel Bowman. I thought that was hasty. Um, I think expulsions of our elected representatives is legitimate. I'm open to that, but I don't want to immediately rush to that. I think far better would have been the NPC to try to have a town hall with Bowman and our other DSA electeds in Congress to discuss this, to hear, let, let them make their case. The ones who voted against it explain why they did, let Bowman explain his case, and have DSA leaders answer that, explain our views, and let members engage in that. I think a second step would have made sense is a censure of Bowman. And the same kind of process with the railway vote. That wasn't just a one-off. The majority of this NPC, again, tried to duck and avoid the railway vote. So I think we need a change from the current policy and leadership that SMC and Green New Deal and Groundwork represent. Thank you, Philip. Up next, Sarah. Hey, everyone. Sarah from SMC. So many people in DSA think our success or failures as an organization are dependent on adopting a specific set of politics, type of organization, Oh, while those matter and can significantly impact our successes too, um, the practical work of carrying out our program is left to the wayside. Many things can be successful if we are able to unify and prioritize the efforts as an organization. But we must be able to learn on our lean on our organization's democracy to set a course. And then we actually have to seek to win the goals that we have set for ourselves. Whatever positions we choose, we have to give them our all. And that's what I'll say about that question. Thank you, Sarah. Up next is Alex. Yeah, so I think that we need to keep in mind that DSA is a membership-based organization, not a volunteer organization. So that means that our rank and file members are not just the people who are carrying out our political priorities by knocking on doors or text banking, um, but they're the people who are shaping the, the direction of the organization. And But we should keep that in mind, but also acknowledge the fact that the MPC, the people who win this election, will be setting the political direction uh, of the American socialist movement for the next two years. So I think it is very important that every candidate have a clear political vision and not operate as an individual on the MPC, but be representative of their politics and their tendency on the MPC. So it's important that we each lead with our politics. And as John and other people have alluded to, I think part of the conflict that has um, been on the MPC, a lot of the reason why it feels very foreign to people is because the interpersonal conflicts have gotten in the way of real uh, political debate. And I also, like separate from that, think that there is this trend in DSA of people trying to appeal to the same base of voters as progressive candidates. You know, the, the same, like simply saying that we should just try to canvas the people who vote every election, and if we get enough of them to vote for us, we'll win. And we do absolutely need to win them over. Um, but our approach would be to expand the electorate, to politic politicize people um, who, who, who don't vote. And, and I think that that is one of the reasons why uh, the Bernie campaign was so powerful. So as a, as a proud Marxist, I really do hope that the next two years can be one of class struggle uh, and political independence. 
Um, so I would say vote for bread and roses if you want to find ways to hold our elected officials accountable um, and use the electoral politics to get thousands of people to identify as socialists. Vote for BNR uh, if you want a labor strategy that is rank and file oriented and that helps thousands of people industrialize to build more militant and democratic movements. And finally, vote for BNR to create a democratic organization where it's a culture of transparency and political debate. Thanks, Alex. Uh, and next up is Amy. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, one common thing that I want to point to is the orientation towards elections as uh, necessary to to win, to uh, run campaigns, to get wins and get people on our side. Um, I think that is a uh, useful, I think it is a useful tactic, but uh, placing it as our sole tactic or a primary tactic um, ultimately uh, leaves a lot of things by the wayside and puts us in positions where we have to cut deals, um, really renege on some of our politics uh, to, in order to uh, have those wins. Um, you know, I think there's two ways that goes. One of those is, you know, we need to, uh, that I hear, I, I think a lot more from SMC, uh, is that uh, we need to, you know, win power in state, we win power through elections, we get things done and, and people will support us. There is some truth to that. I think that is a, a thing that does work. Again, I think it needs to be one tactic in our tool belt, though. Uh, we need to also get people to, you know, understand their own power and, uh, wield that collectively outside of the state. And I think that there are a lot of people we'll be able to reach by doing that, that we won't, that we can't through elections and getting things, getting things done in the state. Um, you know, one thing that was said, I, I don't think it is that, uh, something that uh, Francis said, I may have misunderstood. I, I don't think it is that we have people in office that make, that gives us relationships with um, other uh, socialist organizations. I think that uh, it is our politics that we put forward there. Uh, it's the politics that we see with the IC, that we see with other parts of it. Um, and the fact that we want to be a mass, that we're trying to be a mass party, uh, that we are open and as much as possible or as much as we've been able to so far, involve all of our members and involve the wider populace. Uh, that I think is what makes us uh, attractive as peers, you might say, or at least you know, someone to speak with uh, for other mass parties uh, that we do have built, ha that we have built relationships with. Uh, and so I think that's really important. I think that, you know, our politics first has to include democracy internally. It needs to include, um, you know, dealing with dissent in a way that uh, is generative rather than destructive, um, as other comrades have said, um, and in ways that are open um, to our members, to uh, everyone else. And uh, because to an extent, how we interact with members is how we'll interact with the broader public. And that needs to be in a way that enables and builds uh, members um, and uh, finds ways to resolve conflicts that, yeah, again, generative rather than destructive things that uh, we try to get together and, and solve things to find unity rather than things where we seek punishment, uh, punitive, may that's the same thing, uh, ways to suppress conflicts. You're, um, you're, at, you're at time, Amy, if you want to wrap okay. up. Yeah, uh, 
rather than suppressing conflicts for uh, an appearance of unity. Um, and finally, Francis. Oh no, sorry, sorry, I skip, I skip, skip CS. Sorry, CS. CS then Francis. That, that's all right. Uh, this is CS Jackson again from LSC. Um, I just want to echo a lot of what's been said already. You know, John said that we need to trust our members and trust each other and also embrace criticism. Uh, and Philip also said that we don't, we shouldn't use administrative methods to shut down criticism, that it's not the sign of a healthy democratic organization. All NPC candidates should understand that there will always be internal opposition to their politics. It's how you treat that opposition that is a sign of a mature leader. And I pledge to be that leader. Um, I specifically believe that uh, there are other slates like SMC and Groundwork look at members as volunteers and donors. Uh, the former NPC majority composed of representatives from SNC and the Green New Deal slate has shut itself off from the membership and caused serious divisions in the organization as a result of, of politics, which is hesitant to confront our own endorsees when they break off from our politics and side with the Democratic Party. Um, and also speaking with in about groundwork, they have candidates that are responsible for a lot of the mistakes that have happened in the last two years. And they also have another candidate that has called for pushing out a large portions of our membership from the organization. I don't think that's uh, healthy either. Thank you, CS. And finally, Francis. Um, yeah. I think this question is a good one. Um, it's hard for me to like say that there's, I think that there's how I was gonna answer it and then there's how I'm gonna answer it after hearing from all the other candidates. I feel like this was a little bit like, <laughs> what do people hate about SMC and groundwork? Um, but, you know, I think one, I wasn't on the NPC last term. I'm not gonna pretend that I have a you know robust understanding of the internal discussions that happened in the the, the you know numerous decisions that went into like the sent the disciplining of the BDS working group or like how to approach Bowman um from the outside you know I I will say like I've I've um I've actually traveled to the West Bank I've been to Palestine I've talked with Palestinian people um I learned about the the struggle there I well, I've been, you know, I that was an incredibly moving experience, a deeply emotional experience. And so to see someone who, you know, to see a congressional elected who um, like took a vote to, you know, <laughs> advance the domination of the Palestinian people as a socialist is it, it hurt, you know? And I, so I, I see where people have um, an intense emotional and strong reaction to seeing that, um, but, what, where are we now? You know, like how have we advanced the cause for Palestinian liberation? Um, it seems like Bowman is now APAC's biggest target. Um, is that a, a win for Palestinians? Is that a win for socialism? Um, I, you know, we, we, um, we have a tremendous amount of work to do to build the kind of power that we need in order to affect the change that we wanna see. And um, I guess this kind of brings me into like what I was gonna say originally, which was, I think that a lot of folks sometimes underestimate just how much work we have to do um, and how much organizing work we have to do. Um, 
I think I would really push back against the characterization that um, the Green New Deal or groundwork um, think of members as just volunteers or just donors. Like I think of myself as an organizer first. Um, I, someone, I, I'm not, I like don't really like saying nice things about myself, but someone just recently characterized me, who I disagree with a lot politically, characterized me as one of the like top three hardest working members in DSA Los Angeles. Um, I am deeply embedded with the membership. I care deeply about um, what people on the ground are doing. Um, I want the, a stronger connective tissue between local and national. I think that's where the work is um, for the coming NPC to build that out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I also, I appreciate what John said, uh, the, the like loving and fighting words. And I appreciate the like, um, multitude of perspectives on this call and no matter what happens in a month, like I'm looking forward to building socialism in our, in our lifetime. You're here. Um, okay. Um, so that's the end of the questions. So everybody's going to have one minute to, to offer some closing remarks. I know that's not a lot of time, um, but uh, one minute. I'm sorry that people ask a lot of questions. We didn't have space in the agenda to get through what was in what was written as the questions for everybody, in addition to all the questions that people asked in the Q and A. Um, but uh, if people feel like it, they can, you know, thumb out a real quick response to some of those if if, if they're moved to. Um, so I'm going to give all the candidates one minute to just close out, and then everybody can go about their business, enjoy the rest of their weekend. Um, Philip, you're up. I'll just start by saying I really appreciate, I disagree, I have political disagreements with Francis, but I really uh, appreciate her response to the criticisms and the spirit of what you're saying and being here. Um, and I think, you, I think you also made really valuable points about the atmosphere we need um, in these discussions. Um, but I would say if you're happy with the current direction of DSA, if you're happy with the approach of the majority of the last NPC, um, I'm not your candidate, don't vote for me. Um, if you, uh, I think you have a better option to vote for a socialist majority and groundwork. But I would appeal to people who think there needs to be a serious change of course, um, that we need a new direction for DSA to please vote um, number one and number two for the two reform and revolution candidates, myself and Jesse Dreyer. Um, and we're fighting to be part of electing a left NPC majority that's made up of reform and revolution, Marxist unity group candidates, bread and roses, Red Star. I really appreciate what I really agree with a lot with C.S. Jackson was saying from LSC. Um, and so, yeah, I would appeal um, to vote on that basis if you want to change. Thank you, Philip. Whoa, sorry. Uh, Sarah, you're up. Hey, I want to say as we close out, thanks, Justin, for moderating. And thanks, Luke, for being behind the scenes and doing the Zoom. It's always appreciated. Um, and thanks to everyone for spending like what an hour and a half on a Zoom call on a Saturday. That is awesome. So thanks everyone for being here. Um, check out SMC's website. We have five candidates running for NPC this year. Um, I'm looking forward to running and having a successful campaign with all of them. Um, so check out our platform, check out our website, and thanks everyone for being here. Thank you, Sarah. Alex. Yeah, I think DSA is at a crossroads. And I think that the next few years will determine if we can go down in history as an organization that helped end capitalism or just another socialist organization that had some successes, but, but ultimately failed. 
And if we can create an independent socialist identity that is separate from the Democrats, um, rekindle the relationship between the socialist and the labor movement, and get thousands of people to become socialist organizers uh, through our social movement campaigns, I think that we'll win. Um, and I think that my experience as, as a campaign manager, as a YDSA organizer, and as a priority cam campaign leader can, can play a small part in helping us achieve these goals. And I also think electing my two slate mates, Kristen Shaw and Nora Wadlin, who are two fantastic organizers, uh, will, will help us also help us achieve these goals. But whatever happens at convention, I think it's important that we be united as DSA members and understand that we're on the same team and we have a very big and daunting opponent. So I, I just want to close by, by quoting uh, the British Labor Union, Bob Crow, who said, if, if you spit alone, uh, you can't do much, but when we all spit together, we can drown the bastards. Here, here. Uh, up next is Amy. Um. Yeah, uh, the big thing that I want to go in with this, uh, we need to work, I agree, we need to work together. Uh, we need, we do need to change. Uh, we need an NPC that will uh, bring members in, uh, trust members to do the work, trust members to have information about how the work is done. Um, I don't think we should, I don't think we should ever have members on the outside looking in on decisions. Um, or uh maybe more accurate to say i don't think we should i think that members should at the very least be able to look in um so you know we need to get information to members uh we need to make sure that they are able to be aware of our decision making what the basis for that is um and we need to uh, address conflicts in ways that achieve unity rather than causing further division that's what I want to encourage you to vote for Mug, vote for myself and Rashad. Uh, we want to build DSA towards a mass workers party. We want to have real class independence and a commitment to internationalism and anti-imperialism. That's what you vote for. You're voting for Mug. Thanks, Amy. Uh, CS. Hi everyone, CS Jackson from LSC again. Um, yeah, like Philip said, uh, if you're pleased with the current direction of DSA, I am not your candidate, neither is my slate mate, Tom J. Um, it's time for a change. It's time for more transparency and honesty in our leadership. And I believe that we can be that honesty and transparency. Um, and I just want to encourage y'all to talk to your delegates and make sure that they vote to pass the NHGO resolution and the BDS working group resolution unamended as written. Um, and it's been a pleasure to be here with all the other candidates and have honest and frank discussions about the differences and similarities of our politics. Thank you. Thank you, CS. And finally, Francis. Yeah, thank you everyone for spending time on this panel and, and listening to all of all of us candidates and for, you know, participating in the democratic work of, of building out our organization and steering it. Um, and yeah, the last thing I'll just say is, um, I think I totally agree with Alex, like DSA is at a crossroads, you know, we have an incredible opportunity to move our organization forward and to move our political project forward. Um, and I think that we 
can do it. And I feel, um, I feel like there's so much to be optimistic about and there's so much to be excited about. And um, I just can't wait to see where we are in five years. And I think we should be really, you know, we should all feel really proud of um, the work that, that we've all done and that we've all put in. And I am looking forward to building towards the future with y'all. Right. Thank you to all the panelists. Uh, thanks everybody for joining the call. Thank you to Mug uh, and to r, &R uh, for organizing this. My damn timer, sorry. Um, yeah, this was great. Um, we're, we're a month out from the convention. It's going to be wild. I, I hope to see some of you there or all of you there and people in the chat. Maybe we'll get to have a little chat in person and not in the Zoom chat. Yeah. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, Justin.